Heavenly Father, here we are to know you more in this class in prayer, is to turn to the prayers in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. We've been doing for the last six, six sessions. You know, if our generation doesn't have many prayer words, maybe we should return to the primary source of prayer that accurately, accurately reflects the standards of Scripture. The Word of God always will guide us um, to the themes on which we need to focus. And I hope we've noticed that the centrality of the prayers that we've looked at so far are of God himself, his purposes, his glory, his love, his son, and for all those that believe. So if you'll turn to Ephesians 3, 14, 21, um, this is what the video is going to show. But I'll, I'll, uh, I'll read this off at the same time, too. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So uh, why don't we look at the video right now? It takes about, I think this one's about, 14 minutes. Did, uh, did any of you watch the Academy Awards last Sunday night? Yeah, neither did I. <laughs> but, you know, even so, you probably had a hard time avoiding the big slap being talked about all week. You know, it, was, it seemed like it was more important than the war that's going on in the Ukraine. It uh, is more important than the price of gas or the price of food. And, you know, frankly, I felt somewhat sorry for all the, I'll call them the Twitter twits, um, all the talking mouths. You know, I, I always get a sense of them grasping for something as, as if in prayer, but not to any transcendent power, you know. The power's in themselves, and it's, and it's an insecure power, it seems like, and they know it. You know, I, I read that the, um, the actor Slapper, <laughs> he said uh, when he was getting his Academy Award after that, that love will make you do crazy things. You know, but what does scripture say about love? In 1 Corinthians uh, 13, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. You know, and that he doesn't get that, that is another thing that really makes me sad. You know, there, afterwards I read that Denzel Washington had a chance to, to talk to him, and he's a, he's a Christian. Um, I think he's the son of a pastor. But basically he, he told him, he said, you know, this is spiritual warfare. You need to look at, at this from a, the perspective of eternity. 
But, and I mention this because Paul's prayer is rooted and grounded in love, God's love for us. For God, by God. You know, there's two petitions that emerge, he talked about it, directly from the text, that God might strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner being, and that we might have power to grasp the limitless dimensions of the love of Christ. You know, the nature of, of this power that Paul prays directly for us, us who believe, is mediated through God's spirit, and it operates in our inner being. What does, that, what does he mean by that? What do I mean by that? You know, we get a clear picture of, of that as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16, where again he cites the inner self. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The inner being is what's left after the outer man is wasted away, completely wasted away. And you know, most of us have not really suffered great persecution. You know, we're all getting older, and I know that. Um, I feel like old age kind of suddenly descended on me about two months ago. I, but when I look in a mirror in the morning, what I see is a younger me, you know, I, who persevered in heat and humidity and monsoons and being constantly wet and sleep deprived and dirty for six weeks at a time. And, and then I think of my mom who was, before passing, she told me she was ready as if she had one foot in heaven already. You know, my outer being is, is diminished just as I observed hers. My inner being, it's getting stronger constantly. And that's only by the grace of God. You know, opposite that are my non-believing friends. They're, they're desperate for good health, but they're not as concerned with the transforming of their inner being. Maybe that was true when they were younger, you know, using a bit of Owsley's orange sunshine uh, in search for meaning but now they've settled into what they've become. There's no ongoing sanctification occur, occurring in their inner being. You know, there's no power of God in their lives. That's the reason why. For us, though, even though we could live to be 900 like the patriarchs, as long as we're in these bodies of sin, our inner self is still subject to God's sanctifying power. You know, if I live to be 900, sanctified, sanctifying. And if I get another year, 901, still being sanctified. There's always going to be fresh starts for us, you know. There was a burning bush for Moses. There was a Nathan for David. There was a dirt road to Damascus for Paul. All those being God's continuous sanctifying, saving power and love. You know, there's two verses that highlight this. There's one in Isaiah 30, verse 21. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or to the left. And then in 1 Corinthians uh, 2, verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. This is Paul's primary concern here. Praying for the power of God in our being that controls our character and prepares us for heaven. What purpose does it have? 
you know, many people pursue power to manipulate people, like he mentioned uh, Simon the Sorcerer, or what we note every day in the Ukraine, or even the elite intransigence in our own country, sometimes even in the church. For Paul, he prays for the Ephesians to be strengthened in power through the Spirit so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. That's a, that's a great prayer. When Christ, by his Spirit, takes up residence within us, he finds the moral equivalent of mounds of trash. There's a lot of cleaning up to do. He mentioned about the house that he bought. Some repairs, a lot of expansion. But Christ's aim is clear. He wants to take up residence in our hearts as we exercise faith in him. Paul's concern that Christ might be formed in believers in Galatians 4, he displays a concern that is common to all the people he prayed for in the churches he, that he helped to found. He prays, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present for you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. Kind of an aside, it just occurred to me. I, you know something? I have no idea what the anguish of childbirth is like. And I wonder how Paul came up with that. It takes a great deal of power to change us, and, and that's why Paul's, Paul prays for power. And over all this, put on love. Paul's looking for changes, the same changes that took place in his own inner being. With what measure of resources is the prayer to be answered? In this text, it's out of his glorious riches. That Paul's, that's what Paul's relying on. These riches are what God has already secured for us on account of Christ. In Philippians 4, 19, we read, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory of Jesus Christ. Everything we receive from God comes through Jesus Christ. Our pardon, our reconciliation with God, our canceled sin, the gift of the Holy Spirit, eternal life. He makes us children of a new covenant. His righteousness has been accounted as ours. All God's sovereignty is mediated through, through Christ for our good and for his glory. All the blessings of God are tied up with obedience, the, the obedience and work of Christ. You know, Paul has made a plea for power, power to be holy, power to think and act and talk in ways that are pleasing to Christ, power to strengthen our moral res resolve, to walk in gratitude to God, to be obedient and trusting that the Lord will sustain us. You know, Satan can even re recite and confess these truths that we're studying. And, and he knows scripture. And there hasn't, but there hasn't been this transforming power that we've received, this lifelong process that stretches towards heaven. For him, it stretches towards eternal damnation. You know, and Paul's next petition is that we might have power to grasp the limitless dimensions of the love of Christ. This is power again, but it operates a little differently. This power is utterly dependent on God's sovereign love. You know, and he talks about, he wants, he wants us to grasp this love and the power of this love. Do we adequately appreciate the love of Christ? You know, this prayer is, is that we might better take hold and that we have a profound sense of God's love for us in our experiences. And perhaps this is uh, controversial, you know, experience over revelation, but there, there is room for experience in, in its proper context. Look at this passage from, from Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. 
Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fall away, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. How do we appreciate love? Can we measure it? You know, Paul uses a metaphor. I, I want to contrast it to something I, I read by Ken Kesey. Uh, you probably all know of his books, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But I want to look at something he wrote in what he said was his opus, sometimes a great notion. You know, the main character states that what motivates people are three things. And those three things can be used to manipulate people also. One, not having love. Two, not having enough love. And three, fear of losing the love that they have. But in Christ, we can rest that we have his love for eternity. All we have to do is look at the cross. We have more love than we can comprehend, and it's love that's limitless. And finally, we never have to doubt the loss of love as we are sealed within his love by the Holy Spirit. A genuine and deep perception of the love of Christ rarely comes to the person who's not spending much time in Scripture. We need to appreciate this love and all it entails for our salvation. That apart, that apart from the, the power of God, we would be manipulated by Kesey's definition of love. Paul wants us to grasp something of the limitless dimensions, the love of Christ. To know that love that surpasses knowledge. So he, he prays that we might have God's power so as to be able to take this step. And why? He wants believers to be filled with a measure of all the fullness of God. To be all that God wants you to be. <laughs> Not all we can be. I think, is that an army phrase? Sounds like something the army would say. Hope Mike's not here today. <laughs> you know, he wants us to be spiritually mature. God himself, Christ himself, is a standard to aspire to. He says, be perfect because I'm perfect. Be holy for I'm holy. In effect, he's saying, be mature, be complete as I'm mature and complete. Do you see the implication here? Paul assumes that we cannot be as spiritually mature as we ought to be unless we receive power from God to enable us to grasp the limitless dimensions of the love of Christ. It's love that surpasses knowledge. It takes the power of God to enable us to grasp this love, this love of Christ. Part of, part of our deep meism is manifested in, in our independence that we, you know, we don't really want to get so close to God sometimes that we feel dependent on him, you know, swamped by his love, overwhelmed by it. We want to back off, maybe stake our own turf. We want control. And Paul is praying for power so that we will be controlled by God himself. That is what's available to us, to be swamped by God's love. This isn't, you know, high noon, go it alone uh, Christianity. It's, it's a power of love together with all God's holy people, all of us that are here today. As you all know, I used to work at night. <clears throat> so I missed out on the men's Bible study. But since the lockdown, <laughs> well, since the lockdown, I've retired. And I've been able to attend. And I have to say, I never realized before the depth of intelligence, the hunger for the word of God, 
hunger for the knowledge of God, the brotherhood and the fellowship that's apparent on Thursday nights. It needs the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God. There's two grounds for Paul's petition. Paul is praising God for his grace in bringing lost Jews and lost Gentiles together into a new humanity. And it's accomplished through the redemptive work of the, of the Son on the cross. This is, this is God fulfilling his promise to Abraham. You know, we read in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your house, father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families. Jew and Gentile. So for what reason? Namely, that God's declared purpose in, in creating this new humanity is to bring people into it to a kind of spiritual maturity. And he's, it's a maturity that he's purposed. Paul's praying in line with what he knows of God's will. God, he will note, is more interested in our holiness than our comfort. He shows himself more clearly to men and women who enjoy and obey him. And he's deeply committed to stretching our faith. He's more committed to that than for our popularity. Praying in line with the declared will of God, it's what we see in the Old Testament prophets. And Paul, who only had the Hebrew scriptures as a reference, that's where he's uh, praying from. A lot of times, Paul's petitions <clears throat> are addressed to the Heavenly Father. God is the ultimate archetype of a father. In, in Western thinking, father does not have the same overtones of dignity and authority, especially in this day and age. In the ancient world, the father was not only the one who sought the good for his family, but he ruled and dispensed fa favors, or not. You know, I, I couldn't help thinking about Jacob on his, the deathbed scene in Genesis 49, all of his 12 sons are waiting to see what they're going to receive. And, you know, Reuben, the first one, he thinks he's going to get the whole thing. But it, it isn't until the fourth son that we have a clear picture of which brother the Messiah is eventually going to come from, Judah. You know, when I was in Israel, uh, the guy who led our tour, his name was Bill, he went... He, He'd been over there a number of times, and he knew a lot of people over in that area. And I, th I think it was our bus driver who was not Jewish. He's, he was uh, one of the Palestinians. But somebody in his family was getting married, and he invited Bill to go to the wedding, so, or the, the wedding banquet. So, um, so Bill went to the banquet, and he was very thankful to be there, and he went up to the, started to go up to the father to thank him, and the, the Bus driver ran over and said, what are you doing? He says, I want to thank your dad. And he says, no, you, you got to go through me. I thought, wow, no one comes to the Father but by me. You know, Matthew 6, 31, therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, the nature and character of God becomes for Paul a fundamental ground for intercessory, 
I'm probably saying this wrong, intercessory prayer. Prayerlessness, which I started off <clears throat> in the first sentence today, it's often an index of our ignorance of God. God has disclosed himself in scripture and supremely in Jesus Christ. Real and vital knowledge of God not only teaches us what to pray, but gives us a powerful incentive to pray. You know, when we first, the first lesson um, I mentioned that I was gonna be as much of a student here as you all are. And I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what I'm learning, but I know I'm praying more. You know, the God who he petitions is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. You know, the sophisticate may think uh, that's a little over optimistic to, to think that God will actually answer prayers, but Paul's, he's not having any of that. God's omnipotent, so there cannot be degrees of difficulty for God. God's able to do immeasurably more. To think of God in any other way is to demean him. We can't even imagine the good things beyond God's power to give us. You know, I've noted in Paul's prayers, we've looked, the ones that we've looked at, the ultimate purpose of Paul's praying is that there be glory to God in the church and in Jesus Christ. There's a warning here, too. It's possible to ask for good things for bad reasons. The root of sin is, is a kind of self-centeredness that wants to usurp God's place. It's tragic if our prayers for good still leave us thinking of ourselves. You know, um, I mentioned this in the men's Bible study on Thursday night. I, I read this in Table Talk this week, and I, I think it defines a path we need to be aware of. It's going to give us assurance. It's going to give us certainty to our salvation. And, and it's indicative that our prayers are of profound God-centeredness. And this little, little quote that I copied out of there says, how do we know that the change of heart and repentance that we professed is real? One good way is to look at our attitude when things are going well. I never thought about it that way before. If, we're to continue, if we are continuing to seek the Lord's face and are sorry for our sin when we're not suffering overtly for it, then we can know that the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts that we are not sorry for sin merely because of its consequences, but because we have offended the Lord. If this is what we now know, then we have truly entered into the love and power of God. Holy Father, thank you that Jesus is dwelling within us. I pray, pray that uh, as we think about this, as we all go home today and about the service today and, and this class today that we grasp that this redeeming love for us is eternal and there's only one person who has given us redeeming love Jesus Christ your son and we thank you and praise you for that and we worship you for that too and I pray this in Jesus name Amen <clears throat>